0: radio shows you love from the people you know this is sam talks technology
1: welcome welcome it's a wednesday afternoon my name's sam Sethi. thanks for joining us and my guest today is a really good friend of mine i've known him oh probably
0: about 20 years now mr walsh hello paul how are you <laughs> great to be on the show sam i'm absolutely brilliant thanks for having me how are you doing i'm very well
1: uh i'm detecting a slight accent there well at least i know you've got an accent where's it from
0: Where's your background? The sunny southeast of Ireland, Wexford. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've seen the sun there once or twice, Ah. (laughs) but that's what they call it, the sunny southeast.
1: Lovely. Now, you're not in sunny south Wexford anymore. You live in Vancouver now.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, Spent 12 years in the UK, which is when we met, then spent eight years in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley and San Francisco, and then moved to Vancouver about five months ago.
1: And what do you do?
0: What do you do? I know you're a CEO of a company, but what's the name of the company and what do you do? The company is called Metasert and it's a cybersecurity company. And basically, I see a world where everybody feels safe opening a link and you know which websites to trust because the world is just full of breaches and cyber attacks and people losing their personal identity. So I want to focus on helping to address that issue.
1: So describe the problem in more detail. What is the problem that people are having opening links today?
0: Well, you hear about a data breach in the media every day of the week. Either it's a breach or a hack uh, or your personal identity is stolen. We read about all these things in the media every day of the week, but 90% of every breach starts with one person at a company opening a dangerous link and not realizing they're actually signing into an impersonator website called a phishing site, and then they lose their credentials. And then unfortunately, that person probably uses the same username and password for multiple systems. And so the threat actor knows this, and they will go test all of their other kind of login credentials, whether it's their network server or GitHub or something else that's important like Gmail. And then they're inside. So most attacks aren't actually sophisticated. Most attacks are not people trying to hack your network, 90% starts with one person opening the wrong link.
1: Okay, so how much money do you think is spent by enterprise companies on cybersecurity? It must be in the billions,
0: right? Oh, it's billions of dollars. And cybersecurity is the fastest growing industry sector. It's also the fastest growing sector within procurement by spend inside the US government, and therefore probably many other governments too. Yeah, it's 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 an enormous problem, but unfortunately, the biggest problem is people people not realizing you know whether it's an email that they've received with a, a, a actually you know what if you were to look at oceans eight you know the one where it's um all of the female actors
1: oh right now i've not seen that one go on
0: oh well the main attack in the end to get the security guard it's actually a phishing site it's where they realize from his facebook page that he loves dogs so they create this website that's for cute dogs and they send him a link and they pretend that it's a different website and he logs in and loses his login credentials and and they're kind of, they've got inside um, inside Intel. And then also there's a TV show called Billions. I don't know if you've seen that. I've, I've seen it. It's on Netflix, but I haven't watched it yet. Oh, it's amazing. So the last season, uh, the, the latest season, episode four, uh, it's basically about this founder of a, an investment firm. And the entire network at the company is crippled because somebody falls for phishing scam. Again, one person opening a wrong link.
1: Okay. So I was reading in the press this week, Microsoft has decided as a security feature to remove the expiring password. So you know you used to get a a notification that said, your password now has expired, please reset it. And people would simply go standard password and then just add one more number to it. And then that would be their new password. Well, Microsoft decided that that's dangerous, expiring passwords. And now in Windows 10 or update to Windows 10, that won't be a feature. So again, the weakest link is the human, isn't it? It's, It's us. We are the weakest link to security systems.
0: Always. And ironically, about a week ago, an employee at Microsoft fell for a phishing scam. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, Microsoft has an amazing, what they call a cyber threat intelligence system, which is a fancy name for a database of malicious URLs and malicious signatures and anything that's attributed to a cyber attack. And it it just takes one employee to fall for a phishing scam. And the threat actors then, they got access to every single one of Microsoft's customers' emails, Mm non-paying customers. Yeah, that wow. was on in the end last week,
1: yeah. And how did Microsoft fix that? I mean, how do
0: they have to go to the whole of their supply chain, their customers, say, we've been hacked? You know, it happens all the time. It happened to Wipro. Um, there's not a lot you can do apart from trying to educate your employees, but you know telling somebody to not open an email from somebody they don't recognize does not work asking people to hover over the link inside an email doesn't work because the link can redirect many times asking people not to open links that come from people they don't recognize does not work because it's easy to make an email or any other message look like it comes from a legitimate source and so training awareness is important but it's not solving the problem and the way the entire cybersecurity industry is working is not working it's actually Actually, the way it operates is not working because every single security company in the world is focused on trying to detect and tell you or protect you from malicious attacks, protect you from dangerous dangerous links. If that approach was working, 90% of all breaches wouldn't start with one person opening the wrong link. Okay. So it's not working. Trying to block malicious links does not work i mean obviously you have to do that and it's important to try your best to do that metasert does that we protect people from more malicious links than most companies but we're taking a completely different approach we're turning it on its head so that's not the utility the utility is we will always help you feel safe when opening a link or visiting a website because we'll tell you what's safe we'll tell you what's verified as trusted and therefore, you can assume everything else is either. Uh, del- it's, I was going to say delicious. Everything else <laughs> is either. <laughs> mil- everything else. Malicious, is, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a uh, twenty to yeah, yeah. So, everything else is malicious, or it's at least questionable, and you should investigate further. So, yeah, okay. we're turning it on its head.
1: Okay, let's take a step back. I'm. I'm. A corporate IT person, or I'm a, an individual consumer. You know, which one should we start with? Let's start with an individual consumer. Uh, I want to protect myself. I want to know how to do this. What's the first step? Do I have to load a plugin? Do
0: I have to sign up to a service from MetaCert? How does MetaCert work? First of all, we have on your desktop computer, no matter where you open a link, whether it's inside email or Slack or Telegram or Facebook or wherever. It opens up inside your internet browser, whether that's Chrome, Firefox, Brave, Opera, Safari. So MetaSearch has an extremely easy-to-install add-on for browsers, and it takes literally probably 20 seconds. And what we say to people is install the add-on and ignore the padlock in the toolbar. This is the padlock in the browser. That's right, Um, and I'll explain why. Yeah. Because – so – Remember when I said 90% of all breaches starts with a malicious link? Well, unfortunately, 93% of all new phishing links, all new phishing sites, display a padlock. 71% of all illegal websites display a padlock. 43% of all malware sites start or display a padlock. And the reason for that is because an organization called Let's Encrypt now gives away to website owners, free, automatically issued SSL certificates. And they're doing that because they want to encrypt the web. The major stakeholders, mozilla Google, Facebook, all of those companies, they want every website to start with HTTPS. So consumers are safe when putting in their credentials. However, that's having an adverse effect. That's a detrimental impact on safety because now it's free and easy for the, the threat actors to trick users because all consumers have been trained to look for the padlock. And part of that reason is because the certificate authorities that sell those certificates to website owners, they charge additional fees for a different type of certificate called an extended validation or organizational validation certificate. And that's where they, they validate the information of the website owner to prove who they are and the fact that they own the domain name. But in recent years, browsers have started to remove those additional visual indicators. And even when they were there, nobody knew the difference. So people just look at the padlock. So years ago, it kind of represented trust. But today, it just represents encryption. It doesn't represent anything about website identity or trust And actually, it's having the opposite effect on everybody. It's making everybody have this false sense of security because they look at the padlock and immediately think, oh, I can trust that. That's no problem. They don't even bother to look at the URL. Even though the URL is very easy to trick people, a lot of the time they don't even look at it. So MetaCert installs a new shield on the toolbar, and it's gray by default. And whenever you visit a website that's been verified as safe, then it turns green. So you know you're actually on that right website. So we've we've classified our database is probably bigger now than the number of sites that have extended validation certificates.
1: Uh, yeah. How big is that? I think I read a number of ten billion Many, or something.
0: Well, we've got over ten billion URLs classified generally speaking, but for verification purposes, it's a you know it's millions of URLs. And it's growing every hour of every day. So what we did around the time that uh, taxes were being returned in the UK or filed in the UK, we verified thousands of British government websites so that we made it virtually impossible for anybody protected by our software to fall for a phishing scam when filing their tax returns. So we we verify the websites that you care about most. So you won't necessarily get a green shield for your grandmother's website or your favorite DJ's website or the long tail of the web, which is those, you know, all of those websites that most people don't access. But the ones that you care about most, whether it's, you know, Dropbox, Box, Salesforce, banking, financial, government, we verify those and therefore you get a green shield every time you visit those websites. So that's one way of staying safe. And then we also have the world's first security integrations for native mobile email apps. So if you use the native email app on your iPhone, we have an integration for that. So it's a device profile. And what that does is it inserts a tiny shield next to every link inside the email. So you get a green shield for a link that's verified, a gray shield for unknown, and red for phishing. And then when you try to open up the phishing link, it gets blocked, and you're warned as to why it's been blocked. Now, the magic is not in the blocking. Because it's very, you know, phishing sites, malicious links are created every minute of every day. So the gray shield and the green shield is what's magic. Green for verified and gray means, hey, look, it, if it looks like it's coming from Microsoft or Google or Apple and it's gray, then you know it's either a new phishing link that hasn't been detected by any security company, including Metasert, or... It's some obscure subdomain that we haven't yet verified. What we have learned is that people can be trained to look for this visual cue and people will do more investigative work to make sure that it's a legitimate website because since we started that social experiment of the new visual indicators in December 2017 within the crypto world with 80,000 active crypto traders and investors who are the biggest targets for phishing, not one person ever fell for phishing scam and in fact actually a lot of people don't even know that our products block phishing sites and malware sites because they just look for the green shield and they won't use a website unless it has a green shield or they'll do more research to make sure that it's a legitimate website or a safe link to open okay so
1: I've got I've got about four or five questions there, Paul. Um, So the first one is, I I guess that's brilliant. So a visual indicator really does help people just stop, think, go, "Mm, OK, that that looks green. Yeah, go. That's cool. But grey and red. Have a little think about it. Check it out. Um, That's 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 brilliant but how do you verify them is it you your company alone who are yeah. verifying all these sites how is it being done is it a community effort or is it a single individual you know for example facebook famously said they were going to set up a task force for fake news and six weeks later all of the people were exhausted because there's about right. 10 people doing it and they all left so how do you know how does MetaCert? Yeah, you said it yourself, there's 10 billion registered URIs and there must be a million a day coming out. How are you building this database?
0: Well, we started off with building the database to protect kids from adult content in a way that other companies don't, because the average false positive of innocent websites being blocked generally is about 10 to 15 percent. So... In the early days of MetaSert, we built this very sophisticated classification system with crawlers. We built our own crawlers. And suffice to say, our database of adult content is bigger than our three biggest competitors combined, but much better quality. And we then added to that other lists that you would care about, such as phishing and malware. And in that regard, we take a feed from about nine different open source lists. We then have some tools that identify new phishing scams and we also have a community of uh, passionate contributors that either submit or validate websites that are malicious so that's growing every hour of every day when it comes to the verification yeah we're doing the verification work and that's pretty easy we're just basically validating what is not a phishing site Mm -hmm. and that's not difficult to do the difficulty is in scaling that to make sure that you validate enough websites that people care about around the world and we started off with crypto and that was pretty easy because we just validated all of the crypto wallets, exchanges, ICOs and stakeholders and then said to the people who use our tools, you'll see a green shield just for crypto sites, you won't see a green shield for PayPal, Stripe and banks and so on and that's when we knew yeah, we we had a, a great product market fit. Um, So we extended that beyond crypto and into enterprise and businesses, pardon me, by verifying non-crypto websites. So we're doing that every hour of every day. We're talking to a number of the large uh, security, the the certificate authorities who want to give us their data for the extended, uh, extended validation and organizational validation certificates. But the end game, the goal is to remove MetaCert from the equation of trust. And to decentralise trust and reputation, and what that makes, what that means in plain English is, we would rather the community, we would rather everyday users of the web decide what should be verified as safe and what should be deemed as inappropriate or dangerous.
1: How's that and, possible? I mean, because all it takes is a bad act to to, to act as if they're a, a verifier and just verify themselves.
0: Yeah, and. It hasn't been possible until now. The web of trust and other kind of initiatives have tried and haven't succeeded very well. So MetaSert is totally centralized. We make all the decisions. Our tech and people decide what should be classified and how for the majority. But the way to do it is uh, to provide uh, an incentive for people to contribute. First of all, we already have passionate people who care because when they're using our tools, they want to make those tools better by blocking the websites that we haven't previously blocked or by verifying websites that we haven't previously verified but the only way to scale that is to incentivize good behavior and the only way to do that is to use cryptocurrency so we have an amazing use case for what's called a utility token and the explain, token explain what that is what's a utility it, token the one way to do that is to describe what a what is not a utility token, and that's otherwise called as a security token. If you're providing uh, somebody with a currency that has no intrinsic value or uh, utility beyond the fact that it's worth a dollar or a cent or a penny, then it could be considered a security. I could go into it in way more detail, and we can do that if we have time, but the utility of MetaSert, I'll describe why MetaSert's token has utility Mm -hmm. as an example of what a utility token is. So let's let's imagine you have a browser add-on on your computer. It blocks malicious websites, and it tells you what's a safe website. And one thing that we do that other companies don't do as well is we have the unique ability to block malicious social media accounts. We have the ability to identify what's a malicious link posted by a malicious social media account. And adversely as well, we can verify social media accounts. So we verify... LinkedIn profiles, Twitter accounts, GitHub accounts. So when you receive a link to one of those, you'll know whether it's safe or not. We're the only company in the world that can do that one thing. And so here's the utility. You've got our add-on or our email. So you know what's safe and what's not. If you submit to us a link that you think is dangerous or you submit a link that you think should be classified as safe because you want to see the green shield, what you do is you'll submit that, but you'll also stake some MetaServe token so that there's an incentive financially for you not to submit a lot of websites that are kind uh, okay. of right. pretending to be one thing <clears throat> when it's another. And then our system, based on a, rep- it'll have a, a built-in reputation system, it will automatically and randomly choose validators. So it'll randomly choose people who should validate what you submitted, and then they will say, yes, I believe this is true. Uh, Sam is telling the truth. This website should be verified. It's a bank that hasn't been previously classified. And then when when consensus is achieved, everybody gets paid in their tokens. And the added value is the fact that the work you just did for which you just got paid directly improves the same software that you use for MetaSert. So you're basically getting paid to improve the software that you use yourself to protect yourself. So, okay. So
1: there's a couple of models like this. So um, Wikipedia obviously is a self uh, checking self uh, policed database system. Now it's not always good and it hasn't got a, a cryptocurrency model behind it, but it's, it's a user driven editorially managed system. Uh, Google Maps, for example, you can choose to be an editor and you occasionally get asked when you're an editor, you know, is this cafe where it says it is? Does, is has it got a, I don't know, a ramp for disabled access? Um, you talked about one of the browsers. That was um, the ex-Mozilla guy. Um, uh, I, right. No, yeah. um, the the bat browser.
0: Um, yeah, so uh, a, yeah, you're a, talking a, about a
1: payment system,
0: don't they? Yeah, Brendan is the founder and Brave is the name of the company in the browser. That's, thank you.
1: Yes, and they've got a token payment system for uh, usage, I guess, for attention usage. Um, so I can see your model. Your model is basically looking at trying to create a, uh, a distributed model in which people who have a valid interest will verify sites but the, the payback is that they, they, they get crypto token payments.
0: That's exactly right. And we built um, a community within the crypto world itself as well. The way we got introduced to the crypto world is in June 2017, phishing was a ginormous problem for crypto companies who used Slack to build their communities. And at the time, we were the only security company with an integration for Slack. And so we were installed in pretty much every Slack community around the world in the crypto ecosystem. And we eradicated phishing inside Slack in 2017. And that was the first time I was introduced to crypto. And then so we built a relationship with a lot of the companies. And it was actually some of those founders that said to us, Hey, I hate decentralized. I hate centralized companies. Why don't you decentralize what you're doing? And then we had other people saying, Hey, dude, I think this is awesome. Why don't you decentralize it? And we came to understand that, hey, yeah, we could actually scale the growth of our registry because we've been building this registry for a number of years now and we're just adding a token. And for your listeners who are into crypto, that's called a tokenized, a token curated registry. And we have one of the best use cases in the entire ecosystem. And we have great relationships with a lot of crypto companies who use our tools. And so we learned a lot from them. And in fact, Brendan said this publicly on Twitter about a week ago, so I don't mind saying it. But we're actually talking to Brave um, about potentially them adding parental controls to their browser to make it easy for parents to block adult content for their kids in a way that doesn't block access to innocent websites and also blocking adult content across social media accounts. So they would use the MetaSert API in order to be able to do that. Um, wow, that'd be great if that happens, for you. Yeah, that's we've got about fifteen integrations within the crypto world alone that want to integrate our API for different things. You know, we're think about like you asked me earlier what is MetaCert's products for consumers and we didn't get to talk about enterprise. But companies any company that has a staff that access the web, they could install our browser add on for their computers and our email app. And without without removing or Without stopping any of their other security systems, most big companies have. Sorry, that was. Hang on, Paul. Typically,
1: these sites, you go to them. I was reading something in the background that I wanted to ask you a question for, and it plays the bloody video. Sorry about that, Paul. (laughs)
0: Typical. Right. You were saying, young sir. What actually you were saying is that you got so bored that you just turned to BBC iPlayer. No. (laughs) I was
1: reading about, and I'm going to ask you your next question, which was about the fact that Chrome has just been, uh, it was only yesterday announced that phishing attackers can now trick you with a fake address bar. So um, I will ask you that in a minute, but you go back to the enterprise thing first.
0: Make sure sure you write that down because actually I had a conversation with the guy who uncovered that um, and I helped Uh, him understand how it expands to something else. So basically any company with access to the web they should install our tools without removing any other security company. We're either perceived as the first or last line of defense because links will get through whatever security systems they have at some point. Um, But we also have an API, which is very easy for app developers. So we've kind of got three routes to market. One is companies that install our tools to protect their staff from opening the wrong link. That's one. Then we also have an API for other security companies that either want to improve their existing systems or they want to add a, dish, a, you know, a different angle. If they want to add uh, the green shield or if they want to allow their customers to block the entire internet, except for what is verified as safe, they can use our API to improve uh, their existing systems or to build a, a new product or service. That's the second route to market. And the third route to market is app developers. So if you look at any app on your phone, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Messenger, WeChat, Slack, Telegram, they all open the link inside the app WebView instead of your browser. And I own a number of foundational patents around that. So if you want to open, if you want to check the security of a link inside a mobile application, then I own patents around that. But more importantly, we've been pretty innovative around that. So we have an API that would give to an app developer, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter or 100 million of the apps out there that allow you to open links inside the web view. And what I would like him to do is to add a new shield to the web view so that it turns green when you open a link to a safe website inside one of those apps. And now you're going to ask me a question which takes me nicely onto that.
1: Well, my, my, my question is, you know, But we talked earlier about the fact that uh, you know there are shields, I guess, from the browsers themselves. Um,
0: Mm. And
1: and you said you know ignore those because um, what was it the uh, the Let's Encrypt have been giving out too many certificates, but you're saying yours is okay. So my question, I guess, and we've talked about this before, so it's not you know I'm not trying to trick you or anything, is how, why should people trust MetaSerp but not trust, I suppose, Google in this case? And of course, that leads into the question, of the fact that Chrome's just been exposed as a phishing attack site. But why, why, why aren't all these big companies? Because I was looking, I was looking at Let's Encrypt, the company, you know, the website you said to have a look at. And, you know, it's the who's who. It's Cisco, it's Chrome, it's Akamai, it's Shopify, it's... Zendesk, I mean, I go on, GitHub, all of them are saying that, you know, the way to go forward is to, to encrypt and they're offering a free automated and open certificate authority. And you're saying that's basically allowing bad actors as well as good people to get certified and they're therefore having a nice little shield that says HTTPS and it's secure. But you're saying... That's allowing the phishing sites or the phishing attack sites to look secure even when they're not. And really, what you're saying is we need an alternative. Which is one of them is Metasert. And so I've installed my plugin and now I'm trusting Metasert. Why shouldn't in trust? Let's encrypt. So I'm just trying to understand why why is it that they're failing? And you, you're you the company
0: that we should be trusting. How's,
1: how's that work,
0: Paul? Let me unbundle that and okay. uh, to go back to the start. Um, first of all, you can see a shield in your desktop browser. Yeah. You can also see a shield most of the time inside a mobile browser. When you open a link inside an application like LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or any of those, sometimes you see a, a, a padlock and sometimes you do not. Okay. A lot, a lot of these apps don't even tell you when you're on the web. They open up the content inside the app, and it makes it look like a native app. And you sometimes you don't even see the URL. And that's to say trying to keep the web
1: closed. It's the well, walled garden. It's the walled garden. Facebook doesn't want you to leave
0: Facebook, as an example. Well, it's more. Well, yeah. Some of them. Some of it is that. Um, Facebook. It's kind of obvious you're in a web view, kind of, but. With some apps, it makes it look like the app in part for the user experience. They want you to feel like it's a native experience and they don't even show you the URL sometimes, let alone the padlock. Sometimes you see the padlock, sometimes you don't. So therefore, I would like a consistent shield, a consistent visual indicator across any application that provides access to the web, that provides access to the internet, whether it's a link to a website, a chatbot, an API, A social media account, a news article, whatever it is, you want to know that it's not a malicious website. And the best way to do that is to promote what's safe, and then question everything else. So that's why I think it's important to have a new visual indicator, whether it's MetaCert or somebody else. The browsers are just not doing it. To you do ask an extraordinarily good question, actually. Why should anybody trust MetaCert? There's two parts to that. One, I guess you just trust. The, the company and the team and its privacy statement and our approach and our contribution. Uh, in that regard, my COO, he started, built, and maintained the Firefox, develop, the, the Firefox developer evangelist community. That's uh, isn't it? Ian, yeah. So he built and maintained spreadfirefox.com. I'm one of the seven founders of the mobile web initiative, during which time I was the first person in the world to rewrite Tim Berners-Lee's vision of the one web because the web meant something entirely different on mobile pre-iPhone. So it was difficult to comprehend what a website should look like on small screens. Um, I'm also one of the two people that co-instigated the W3C standard for URL categorization, which I started in 2004. And I was one of the first invited experts to the Semantic Web Education Outreach Program. Blah, 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 blah. And so what say, you're saying is you've got a really strong track record. In so this. we've got a strong a strong track record. We've got a strong board. We've got strong investors. But you know the question is still, well, why should I trust MetaSert? Well, some people will and some people won't. It's going to be based on the brand, based on the company, based on the tech, based on the approach. And that is precisely why I would like to decentralize the trust and reputation. We have a separate project which is the blockchain project. So moving the entire registry to the blockchain where the future decisions are made by the community. So right now, it's deciding whether something is safe or unsafe in regards to a website or a social media account. But imagine a world where we could do that for news reputation. And I don't want to sidetrack too much on this because it kind of detracts from what kind of I think we can do today. Um, It's pretty easy for us to tell you what's safe and not safe in the web But something that's way more subjective is misinformation. Adblock Plus is a widely used ad blocking software company, and they built a browser add-on, which is 100% powered by MetaSearch's API for news. And what we did was we took a feed from all of the different fact checkers And we just kind of put it all into one database and served it with one API after we classified all of their their social media accounts. And we segmented that data into far left, or not far left, but left, right, satirical, uh, fake, and and, uh, center news. And we had to create those additional categories if only to demonstrate what fake was not. Because people on the left would say, oh you know, news that's published on the right is fake and vice versa. So we had to create those categories, if only to demonstrate what it, it wasn't. I could, I can see a world where a tokenized blockchain type solution could address that problem, you know, putting in some fancy words such as machine learning and artificial intelligence, because I think we're pretty embryonic in those right now. Our search tools have some machine learning, but we don't have any AI. Um, But imagine a world where you have a system which takes the input and output of humans uh, in regards to what they perceive to be fake or real. And then there is software that can help identify some truth to that. Um, I can see where that could lead to decentralizing all of that kind of information. So MetaCert wants to decentralize trust and reputation where it's everybody else except for MetaCert necessarily necessarily that's making those decisions. And therefore, you're not really saying, why should I trust Metasert? In the future, you will be saying, why should I trust Metasert protocol? And the answer will be, well, look at the quality of the data and look at the people contributing to that. So if, if everybody is getting paid to submit and validate information to improve the software that they use themselves, then the quality of the data is going up, which means the value in that is going up, which means more companies will want to make use of it, whether it's a Wi-Fi hotspot provider or an ISP. I mean, one good example is uh, in the UK, you've got uh, filtering turned on by default by the mobile operators and the ISPs, and now they're enforcing age verification. And I was one of the very first people invited to consult on the original parliamentary inquiry before the filtering came into play. And it was Metasert, Symantec, BT, no, not BT, uh, Apple, and a bunch of other companies. Metasert would have been one of the companies to benefit financially by turning on filtering in the UK by default, because we have the biggest database in the world with the lowest error rate of false positives when it comes to pornography. And we're the only company in the world that classifies adult content across social media websites. But my advice was encourage ISPs and mobile operators to build tools so parents can make better informed choices for their children, but do not turn them on by default. You need to not do that because otherwise it's censorship. And they turned they, what they didn't like that advice, so they ran a second parliamentary inquiry, got the advice that they wanted, and then turned on filters by default, and now people are complaining about blocking of innocent websites. Now, imagine a world where all of the adults around the UK have the ability to report something that's innocent and not adult-orientated. And the end, the net result is the classification changes automatically without Metasert or without any other company involved because there is a blockchain crypto-based implementation that allows society to decide what the classification of content should be.
1: Okay, so let's <clears throat> let's 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 unpack this. we went down the
0: rabbit hole there.
1: Well, no, it's good. I mean, look, you know, we. It, it, I think people need to understand this. It's a, it is a complex subject. We're not we're not talking about you know painting pictures on you know Microsoft Paint. We are talking about the nub of the the internet security, you know trust reputation. You know these are the the core factors of. I I guess web 3.0 distributed web is what we want to call that. Um, So there's a couple of things in my head I want to just go back on. So one of the big mistakes that Vince Cerf said he ever did when he created the uh, internet protocol, the underlying IP protocol for the internet, was that he never put in security as a level into that. And I think that's what they're trying to re-engineer into the DNS protocol now the layer that you're talking about which is most exciting so so let me just try and for for simplification so today um you know there's the three stories i want to cover okay so today i can go to meta i can install a plugin or i can use it for my email or i can use it on my chat bot and i get a level of security based on the trust and reputation that you've built uh both as a company, from the people involved, but also from the content the database that you've validated. So that's great. It's so brilliant. Thank you very much, Paul. I've now got a tool that, no, no, I'm genuine. Yeah. I've got, that's a tool, great. I've got a tool that I can use and I can be an API developer, I can be an enterprise or I can be a consumer. Now, we talked about the fact that most browsers have got something built into them, which is trying to show a padlock of some sort, but that works or doesn't work, and it just brings me on to the story that that appeared yesterday, which is what we were touching on earlier. Before I go back, because I, d- I do want to cover a little bit more about the blockchain uh, element that you're building. Um, there's so many things that you've been talking about that have just thrown questions in my head, but we've just got to try and do them as logically as I can. Um, okay, so the headline news is: uh, Chrome on Android phishing attackers can now trick you with fake address bar. Um, basically uh, you, what displays in the URL of your mobile phone can give users more screen space by hiding it. And that goes back to what you said, you know, um, the the big sites like Facebook and, and Slack and others are not showing you the URL that you're going to. You're getting trained not to see it. And now it looks like Chrome on Android uh, has this problem where it doesn't show the original URL. Um I think another one of those that is a problem as well is uh, AMP. Do you know the Google standard? for? Oh,
0: don't get me started on AMP. I hated (laughs) it the minute it was announced.
1: should Should we explain to listeners what AMP is first before we say why we don't like it? It makes me feel ill. You go ahead. Okay, so Google decided to try and speed up the mobile web, which is a great thing in itself. Don't get me wrong. And one of the standards they put forward was this thing called AMP. The um augment was it augmented mobile? Anyway, I'll look it up in a second. Um, it was basically a cut down version of um the HTTP, which was designed to um give you a faster way um of you being able to. I'm just reading it. The that was it. The accelerated mobile pages, AMP. And the idea was that it would cut out some of the HTTP calls and would mobile optimize your web page or your blog in most cases for Google. And they would give you extra Google juice and higher ranking, basically, if you were AMP enabled. Except the problem was that the URL for an AMP enabled website was so encrypted or hidden, you couldn't work out where the original source was. And that's the
0: problem. Google doesn't do anything that's in the best interest of consumers. Google does what's in the best interest of Google. Uh, When I co-founded the Mobile Web Initiative, one of the co-authors or one of the the Mobile OK Trustmark document with me was an engineer from Google. And trust me, they will do whatever they can in the best interest of Google. So AMP, on one hand, uh, people at Google on the Chrome team will say, just display the domain name. Don't display the entire URL because it tricks people. Just display what's important. And on the other hand, they have this AMP, which means you when you're sharing a link, you don't even see the link. It's just a Google AMP AMP link. It just it's horrible. Um so going back to there's there's two things actually I want to unbundle there. The yeah. issue specifically you mentioned that was reported yesterday. Um what happens is when you use Chrome on your phone and you scroll the web page, the URL bar at the top disappears so that you get more real estate and you can read more text. Right. But that makes it easier for a website owner or a threat actor. when you When you scroll the page, it will have as part of the page a, a graphic that makes it look like the URL bar. So you think you're still on a legitimate website, but you're not. I mean, there's two things with that. One is, if you've fallen for the phishing link to begin with, then there's no point in doing that. So I actually think a threat actor probably wouldn't do that. I think that was a security researcher who stumbled upon something, and it's a problem, but it's not really a problem, because the threat actor could just trick people with the URL anyway. So the guy who discovered that, I asked him if he was aware that it also happens on WebView, uh, which I blogged about in April 2015, which is... Google's version of a browser called a web view for applications where you might not even see the URL. And he was like, oh, I wasn't aware of that. I had that conversation on Twitter with him yesterday. So people are only starting to discover the, the security challenges on with mobile browsers and apps now. In fact, actually, about a week and a half ago, Google announced that They're going to block users from accessing all of their login pages inside mobile apps with a web view because they're not able to detect a new type of sophisticated phishing scam. And when you fall for a phishing scam, right, let's just explain what it is again. You get an email. It looks like a link to PayPal. You open the link and it looks like PayPal. So you log in and then you lose your login details because it's a fake PayPal website. Yeah, and the
1: URL and, is quite convincing, though.
0: Yeah, the URL is convincing, but it's a fake website. There's yeah. a new sophisticated phishing scam where you click on the PayPal link, and it's a still a false link. It's a fake link, but you're on the legitimate website. Now, the reason this is important is because some websites have what's called two-factor authentication, like Google webpages, where you log in, and then it sends you a text message with a code, or you use an app for two-factor authentication so it's very, very, very difficult to hack somebody uh, in that in that instance. So because of that new sophisticated phishing scam, Google cannot protect people with their 2FA. So they're blocking everybody from accessing their login pages inside a mobile application. The fact that they're doing that just means that they've contributed to the Metasert uh, investor pitch deck because they've just literally thrown their hands in the air to say, what I've been telling industry, it's impossible to detect every phishing link. Because remember, that new sophisticated phishing scam still starts with a phishing URL. And if Google Safe Browser API, which is used by all the mainstream browsers on your computer, if they were able to detect new phishing links, then they wouldn't have to block the login pages. Which backs up my entire thesis, which is, you can't detect every new malicious link. So therefore, let's tell you what's safe with a new visual indicator.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that plus what the, the article talks about is the, the fact is by Android hiding the URL bar, the address bar, and phishing attackers are presenting a false bar as an image. That makes it look – so the guy here said he he's demonstrated on his blog site. So he said um, he's basically got a site where he's made it look like it's the UK bank HSBC with, note, a green HTTPS secure padlock next to this false URL bar that he's created. So as you scroll down the page, it's showing a nice URL bar with a nice green padlock. So again, going back to what you said earlier, Paul – People are seeing these padlocks. They're seeing that they think it's all safe. They're going down. And he says, basically, a a phishing attacker relies on the chance that users don't pay attention after they click on a message. They scroll down, at which point Chrome hides the URL bar and gives that space to the web page, which is what he's saying. People need more real estate to read. Chrome on OS, which is based on Apple's WebKit, continues to display the original URL bar. So it's only on Android this problem's happening, not on iOS is what he's trying to say. But it is a phishing attack and Android
0: Chrome is making it easier. Now, it, a little, just a little bit easier because you've still fallen for the phishing URL to begin with. The phishing URL is still HSBC with the padlock. It just means that, when you scroll the page, it makes it look a little bit more legitimate. But you know what? It's so easy to create URLs that look legitimate with what's called special characters that it's not really necessary for a threat actor to go to the extra level of creating that fake address bar. I think what he has found is, you know, it's okay, it's not bad, but it's not adding that much more sophistication to what the threat actors can do already. What it does do, is it highlights all the things that I'm saying about URLs and the padlock and less real estate on mobile devices and people more likely to trust links that they receive on their phone inside a messaging app or something else. And then it opens up the link. And MetaSert is the only company in the world that has a security solution for those apps. Okay. So so I'm beginning to understand, because it's a really
1: complex subject. Um, Yeah. I mean, I've, Touchwood so far, I'm aware, have not had a phishing attack. Um, I've got a little plugin from Google called Password Checkup, which tells me whether my password's been hacked on any site, but that's just another plugin. Um, but the, I want to go back to the blockchain and the Metasert protocol now. So we, we understand the problem. The problem is malicious uh, URLs inside of various containers, email, Bots websites. Um, the proposal you're beginning to put forward now. This product is it available? The, the Metacert protocol on the blockchain, or is it in beta? Or where are we with that? First, before I go into my next question.
0: We started it. It's in it's uh, in alpha. We started okay. development last year and we put it on hold when there was a big crash in the crypto world. So we could go back to focusing on our core product to get a good product market fit. So we could start charging for that. Uh, this year, we'll continue development with the blockchain uh, aspect. Because... So what,
1: what, why are you putting it on the blockchain? I mean, blockchain is a non-repudiating database. So, yes, it's distributed, but it's slow distri- distribution. Yeah. But its key benefit advantage is that fundamentally, once you write to the database, you can't overwrite that in, in the sense that it, it – it's a point in time, it's a marker. You can write the next marker above it with a timestamp dated differently, but that date time stamp is at that point, isn't it? It's That's the value yeah. of the blockchain.
0: So, yeah, we're not using the blockchain for the sake of being able to store data because that would just be silly for us. I mean, okay. so why, cryptic what, data is a good idea. We're only using the blockchain in order to be able to create what's called smart contracts. So for the purpose of people submitting and validating information that goes into our database, we need smart contracts, which basically means that once you submit something and stake some token, then the end-to-end process for that being classified is completely out of the hands of MetaSert and we can't get involved anymore because it's all automated. Um, It's like, for example, let's say... There's no automation involved. There's no software. Let's say we come up with a document, a contract, and there's 10 people and five are submitters and five are validators, five experts and five submitters. And we say to the people who submit, if you submit some links to us every day, we promise you, we promise that we will get experts to validate your information And we promise that when they validate that information within a certain specified time, we promise we will pay you. That's a promise. Well, how do you know to trust our promise or somebody else's? If we put that into what's called smart contracts, that's software that is written to fulfill all of those promises so that when you submit something, the software automatically sends that information to the validators and the validators look at it and they validate and that automatically pushes back the notification to the submitters. And then it automatically distributes the money. You know, think about any contract that you have, whether it's buying a house or selling a car, if you could cut out all of the middlemen and Mm. just pay everybody what they're due based on the contractual obligations, that's basically what I'm talking about. And, um, It's a great implementation. It's a great use case for smart contracts and tokenized economy because I want to remove one entity away from that. So, from a technical perspective, imagine if you could, like, I don't want to be able to edit any of that information. Like you say, it's, you know, you need to have it in concrete. So, imagine if you could go to a website and you search for a domain name. And then the results you get tell you every person or every company that's ever owned that domain name and what the classification was at that point in time for the particular content on that domain name. Okay, and I'm beginning you to understand, know, And you know with 100% certainty that that's facts. Nobody, including Metasert, behind the technology could possibly edit that information Because it's all automated in the same way that, you know, in the bricks and mortar world, the use case, I think, uh, which resonates well is the deeds to your house. Imagine if you could go to a website and do a search for an address and you can see every single owner and what the valuation of the house was and for how long did they own it and whether there was any problems for which you would need to know about and that could not be edited by anybody. And you don't have to pay anybody to access that information other than maybe the company to help fulfill the servicing of that database. Yeah. Um, and every person that contributes to that database gets paid for it because they're improving the quality of the database. So that's the same for MetaSert. It's a, you know, think of a much better version of who is. Uh, but about ownership of social media accounts, not just domain names, but of social media accounts, chatbots, APIs, anything with a unique identifier. One thing that I never mentioned is we're also classifying crypto wallet addresses, so that we can we have an API for crypto wallets. So if you're using, let's say, Coolbitx or Coolwallet.io is the website. It's a It's an awesome hardware wallet, the size of a credit card. If you use the application that it connects to and you send crypto, before you have a chance to send crypto, it checks Metasar protocol to see if it's a safe address or not. And if it's a known malicious address, the shield turns red and you know that you should not send your crypto to that address. We classify with a combination of technology and internal efforts and external efforts. Imagine if that was 100% powered by the community. Think of Metasert as kind of a global kind of monitoring service where Metasert is not a small team of people, whether that's 10 people or 100,000 people. Imagine Metasert protocol represents the community worldwide, you know, thousands of people. As soon as they spot something that's dangerous or something that should be verified as safe, they go to this website and they submit that link to that website or that wallet or that API, and then they get paid for it, and then other people validate that information. That's what I see in MetaSert. I see MetaSert protocol as that security protocol for the Internet that could be used by any hardware device, any software application, where the tools that I've explained so far are mere use cases. I'm talking about you know, a new type of VeriSign that in the future is completely decentralized and is not just the padlock for the browser, but is the padlock for identifying what is safe, no matter what the link is.
1: And I, I'm beginning to get, get my head around this because I think um, if you could verify every URL out there and you could add a level of Trust and then later on a level of reputation on top of it. Um, that is really what you're doing. And the blockchain, I get now, it, it, it's not the blockchain database per se. It's the smart contract on top, which is the automation of the payment really, rather than anything else. So exactly. Rather than have some bottleneck of somebody having to hand out token payments, you're using the the, the mechanism of the technology to automate that whole process.
0: You've always had an uncanny ability to dumb down complex technology. It's Um, just I'm dumb, that's all. I need to dumb it down (laughs) to my level. Oh, no, 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 it's not at all true. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I've talked about is this core kind of back-end infrastructure, but at the end of the day, all I care about is that individuals, they see a, a shield display green, whatever the application they use. So for users, consumers, business users, it has to be exceptionally easy to comprehend. It's a light system. Yeah. In the, they don't have to care about the back end, but I'm so happy we delved into it. Um but yeah, to get the simplicity for a user, you must have pretty much, you know, pretty complicated backend infrastructure.
1: Yeah. So okay, so let let's look at the next stage. There's um, a couple of things I want to talk about. One one was the new tax link uh, and copyright laws that came into Europe. And I'll explain why I think they might be interesting for MetaCert to at least give me your opinion on. Um, But before we do, the other thing you touched on briefly was social media. Um, And I've got a report here that talks about, uh, which came out today, Most adults are concerned about malware and phishing on social media. It says uh, 63% of adults use Facebook daily uh, and 68% of adults are concerned about their privacy security on Facebook. One in five adults have stopped using Facebook because of security concerns and many, many more. And I could go through the whole report, but I won't. Fundamentally, people are forget the fake news element, they're just worried about the links and various elements inside of social media. You touched on the fact that MetaCert has a solution. Can you go back over what
0: you can do in the social media space? Sure. I haven't read that report, but just based on the words that you used, I would say that the report is a little bit skewed in the sense that Mixing up security and privacy when talking about Facebook in particular, what we do know is that most people care about their privacy. I don't think most people think about opening de- dangerous links inside Facebook or Messenger or WhatsApp or Instagram. Uh, actually, people are starting to understand and appreciate that dangerous links are being shared in WhatsApp. Uh, there's been some reports today about that. Um, but they might care to a degree about fake news links, but they don't care about security on Facebook. They don't realize the potential harm. Is that they because they care about privacy? Is that because, it
1: going back to what you said, Facebook doesn't appear to allow you to leave the
0: walled garden? So oh, they you do. T- oh, no, they do. That's the problem. The problem is... Oh, sorry. Yeah, you were saying, say that again. You're saying they give the perception that you're not leaving the walled garden.
1: Yeah, so they, they right, remove okay. the browser at the top and they keep you within what we would call a Facebook container. Um, and yeah. only occasionally, if you really insist, certainly on the desktop, that, you know, I really want to go to this external link. It even comes up and says, are you sure you want to go to this external? Not, are you sure this is a safe link? It's more, are you sure you just want to leave Facebook? Why do you
0: want to leave us? Oh, I need to look at that. I forgot about that. I need to look at that. That's a great use case. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're right. They don't do that in mobile. They They make it seamless so that you don't even know you're on the web. So, that's yeah, that's why people don't think about security inside mobile applications because they just assume inherently, first of all, they're safe because they're on a mobile device. They don't feel the pain like they do with a computer. And then, secondly, because Facebook doesn't make it obvious um so so what
1: can metasert do to help me in social media it, it, to, to to avoid a guest being fished or having anything like that so if, if if i took a um a nasty url let's say i've written a back i'll take your example i've written the paypal false website url and i've shared that to you inside a, a post you click on that link, and okay, on the mobile I'm still contained within an environment, but I can get out to the actual web. Um, certainly, I can on the desktop. So now I've basically got the same problem that I had in email inside social media. And so I guess what I'm
0: asking, does Meta have a solution for social media? On your computer, if you if you install the add-on, it doesn't matter where you open the link or where the link goes to. Whether it's a malicious website or a social media account will provide you with a shield. First of all, it'll block access to known phishing and malware sites. The second thing, which is most important, is the utility, which is when you click on the link, if you don't get a green shield, you should assume it's not safe. Or at the very least, do some more research. And for people who are technical listening to this, some people might say, well, what happens if the website is compromised? Compromised, And the DNS is compromised and they've taken ownership of a legitimate domain name and changed it to a phishing site. In that instance, our clients don't detect right now, but we are looking at detecting when there's a change between IP and domain name. But what I would add is that when that did happen in the crypto world, the founders got in touch with us and we changed the classification. And in real time, it protected people from what they thought to be a legitimate site to a phishing site. Um, we have a solution for Facebook. So Facebook could integrate our API and protect its users across all of its assets, whether it's Facebook, Messenger, WhatsApp, or Instagram. And they could protect users in two ways. One, block phishing and malware sites. But two, I'd like them to add that shield so that their users will know they're safe when they see a green shield. That's how we could solve that problem for that company. On a mobile it would only be in an email. Like if I send you a link through email, then you're protected. But if you're inside Facebook on your phone, then you're not protected at all. There's no security solution in the world that will keep you 100% safe. There will be what's called endpoint uh, security solutions uh, from companies like Lookout. And I think they're pretty cool. They're very, very good, uh, very well designed. They do a great job and they try to detect uh, harmful behavior on on your device, whether it's harmful link or a harmful uh, piece of malware. But like I said before, 99.999% of security companies are focused on the harmful stuff. And if that approach worked, then we wouldn't be reading about data breaches in the media every day of the week. I mean, doesn't it feel, Sam, that it's just getting worse with everybody's profile, everybody's data being breached every single day of the week, or companies being breached, or individuals falling for phishing scams. If all of this money's been poured into cybersecurity and it's now 2019 and we're still worried about one person opening the wrong link, then clearly the entire security world is doing it wrong. Trying to focus only on threats is just not working.
1: Okay, so I, I get what you were saying earlier that the way that the security industry has been tackling this has been top down, or, or, or uh, and you're saying it should be bottom up, I guess, you know, um, yeah, or, or vice versa. And you've put in place a number of solutions to do that, which is great. Um, what, what I guess though is, for me, I, I I'm one of these people who's probably a really poor user, okay? I do not like two-factor authentication. Um, Somebody said to me at a meeting I went to, if I had cryptocurrency and was worried about my wallet being stolen, I would use two-factor authentication. But I just find the, I guess the inconvenience of it means I don't use it. I'm pretty tech savvy. So, so far, touch wood, I've not had any phishing attack that I'm aware of, and I don't believe my password's ever been compromised. But that's not to say millions aren't. I mean, they are. That's that's the fundamental thing. So is, is there another way going forward? It's the only way going forward that we we change to this cert type protocol that sits on the web that validates every website, and does it automatically through a, a crawling mechanism or whatever, followed by human validation on top for the false positives, I guess. Is that the only
0: way forward? Is that it? Um, Well, no, it's it's actually a good question. There's always a trade-off between convenience and security, and there's always a trade-off between privacy and security. Sorry, privacy and convenience, which is why so many people stay on Facebook even though they hate it. They know that their data has been mined. They know they're being... You know, they know that Facebook is this monstrous, evil conglomerate that doesn't care about anything other than the bottom line through advertising using our data. They're a horrible company. But so many people still use it because it's convenient. They stay connected to their friends and their loved ones. Um, same with security. There's always a trade-off between security and convenience. And sometimes it's just not convenient to be secure. I guess it all depends on you as an individual and your circumstances. You know, the chances are if you live in a neighborhood in a house on a housing estate with a security guard at the front and you're trusting you love all your neighbors and nobody has ever been broken into before, you probably, might not, you probably won't get a house alarm and you might even leave your door open. But as soon as some of the houses around you start getting burgled because the bad guys know that nobody is being protected – then you may want to lock your door and then you may get a house alarm. And unfortunately, in the security world, and, and if you're a shop or if you hold certain things, let's say you're holding in your house expensive jewelry for your friends, then you kind of have a responsibility to them to provide extra protection and so I believe that ind- individuals should not be mandated to implement security in any capacity. But I do believe that companies are held to a, should be held to account when they haven't made best endeavors to secure the data of their customers. And that's why you have the ICO. That's why you, companies get sued. That's why CEOs get fired when there has been a major data breach which leads to a a drop in their share price. So certain companies should be held to account and they should be mandated to implement certain security protocols. Um, I'm not saying for one second anybody should be mandated to implement MetaCert or any attribute of MetaCert now or in the future. Um, In the same way that I advise the British government that they should not mandate anybody to implement tools that mandated parents to opt in and say they were over 18. I think that's outrageous. I think that's censorship. And now they're mandating all triple X websites to enforce age verification, another stupid idea from the British well, government. it, it actually
1: work. didn't go through. They, they, they couldn't implement it because here's the irony. The, the company that was going to implement the checking of the age verification was Pornhub, who is the biggest porn site in the world.
0: So MindGeek is the company that owns Pornhub, and they have an age verification system, which may or may not work because I've not reviewed it. But I would imagine that – let's pretend for a second that they do an amazing job um, because they've got some phenomenally talented people. They have had some data breaches themselves, but who hasn't? They – do have some talented people, they do have the budget, they do have the technology, and they're great early adopters of technology, generally speaking. But that's not the problem. Pornhub and every single other mainstream XXX website represents less than 1% of internet porn. And all of those websites are owned by people outside the UK and are hosted outside the UK. So what on earth does the British government think and any of its advisors, how do they think they can enforce website owners in that industry outside the UK to implement age verification? It's beyond ridiculous. And I know this because, as I said earlier, MetaCert owns the world's biggest database of pornography by an order of magnitude. I mean, it's bigger than Kaspersky, McAfee, and Symantec combined with a narrow rate of false positives of 0.3%. In fact, MetaCert had an exclusive contract with ICM Registry, which owns .XXX, the domain name. And they would give us all of their domains every day, and they still do. We get a file that contains every XXX domain name ever registered every day of the week. And yet they were one of the biggest voices of support and data being referenced by the British government. XXX domain names represents less than 0.03% pornography on the internet so the reason it won't work is because they will be given adults for me the number one uh, priority should be education tools just make our life a little bit easier as parents but as parents it's all about education i have kids myself i would rather that they stumble upon something and come to me and ask questions rather than, and block the really, really, really bad stuff. Um, and by that, I mean, on a scale of zero to 10, where Pornhub is two, you know, that will tell you what you can get in terms of eight or nine on the Richter scale. I'm not saying, I don't think any parent should be blocked, any adult should be blocked by default in accessing anything. But I think parents should have tools that make their life easier in educating and protecting their kids And quite frankly, I don't think the British government has any clue whatsoever when it comes to content filters or how to protect kids, Um, because parents will think, okay, I have the filter turned on, and now all XXX websites are forced to enforce uh, age verification. Now my, my kids are safe, and now they're not going to give damn about what their kids do they're not going to think twice and they now have a false sense of security
1: but but okay so let me let me stop you there for one second if we don't do anything yeah I, i'm not saying what the uk government tried to implement was the right thing but what they're trying to do is to to put barriers in place of 15 year old boys or 13 year old boys even Uh, because it's mainly boys, um, from accessing these sites before they're 18. Now, if it means that they have to go and find a pretend credit card or their parents' credit card, or they have to verify their age in some other
0: way, is that not a good thing? Oh, no, that's the problem. So first of all, you can't put a block in front of a 15-year-old. What you can do is you can make it virtually impossible to stumble upon content for kids and make it more time-consuming for them to access the stuff that they're looking for. Yeah. Because we have parental controls. We have browser add-ons. We've had parental control tools for years that protect kids. Yeah, but most parents aren't tech-savvy. No, that's right. Um, But here's the problem. Most websites won't have any age verification because the government can't impose those rules on those websites. So ninety-nine percent seven percent of internet porn is not ever going to have age verification tools okay so you're saying that on the basis
1: that most of the porn sites are outside of uk jurisdiction therefore uk government implementing an age verification system could be and would be ignored by 97 percent of websites is that your
0: yes because the remaining sites it's not because they're in the UK and under UK jurisdiction. It's because they represent the mainstream sites and they don't want to be blocked and they do want to do the responsible thing. Like those mainstream sites that are owned by MindGeek they actually and ICM Registry, they actually do care about protecting kids. They don't want kids accessing adult content. So they will do what they can um, without being enforced by the government even a lot of the time. They'll do self-labeling. So they're doing it for the right reasons. But unfortunately, the rest of the adult entertainment world won't do anything whatsoever. So parents will think, okay, well, that means they're safe now because everybody is going to um, have age verification.
1: Okay, I see what you're saying. So basically, the government announces age verifications in place. Parents go, phew, that's it, we're done. And actually 97% of websites around the world don't implement it. So basically the internet isn't just in the UK, it's global. So kids will just go to wherever yep. they can find it. It's
0: it's beyond ridiculous.
1: Right. But in the same way, when I first heard of GDPR, um, you know, that was the way of the European government putting in um, data protection regulation, right? And I was like, well, no one's going to do that outside of Europe. It's just never going to happen. But if you look at the ripple effect of GDPR, it's, it's it's reached Australia, America. I mean, many of the countries around the world are implementing or looking at their own version. I know the U.S. is looking at its own version of a GDPR implementation. So is the U.K. government really saying, look, we're going to try and implement it for the 3% of sites that exist in the U.K.? And it's a start. And if we start it, maybe other countries will implement it where those porn sites are hosted. No. No. Okay. No. I'm I'm trying to give, I'm trying to
0: give. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're trying to be diplomatic and no, it's it's something I feel very passionate about because internet child safety is something that we also care about. Um, You know, we have relationships with the IWF and Nick Mick in the U S and, It's something we're very passionate about. And here's the problem. It's not like GDPR because that's actually implemented by the EU, which has legal status across every company in the world that wants to do business in Europe. And so they do have the ability to enforce their laws on non-European companies. The British content classification Association, I can't remember what it's called again now, but British Broadcasting Classification. Yeah. Yeah. When when my friend Phil Archer and I tried to encourage them to adopt a classification system for websites back in the early days of 2004, 2005, they had absolutely no interest. Um, Today, they're involved now because they're providing some kind of certification service, which means they'll obviously get paid for that. And there's a self-certification service, which doesn't work. And I've done a review of their – they've got some best practices that they want upheld by the companies that hold data. Some of them are two sentences long. There's absolutely no guidelines enforced on those age verification companies that will protect the identity of the people who give it. So imagine now – If we take MindGeek out of the equation, and let's talk about other maybe uh, companies that have less security measures in place. You're talking about the personal identity of adults in the UK with their credit card details potentially exposed to hackers. That's actually a very valuable data set. So hackers will spend time and energy On trying to hack that information because that's what they do. They spend their time and energy and money on data sets that are worth money to them. And that's very expensive information. They could, you know, those individuals could even be held to ransom. Imagine you have preferences that you'd rather not people know about, whether it's Mm -hmm. your wife or friends or public, and you get an email saying, here's the websites that I know you like to access and here's how I know. They're now going to uh, get you to pay ransomware using Bitcoin because it's very easy to do. And there's no trace of those payments because they know how to make make it non traceable. That's that's a very, very, very important security um, implication. Pardon me, that the government hasn't executed. They say they've thought about it. And I've even read, I've read the report and I broke it down. I unbundled it, their press release, and I unbundled it with my feedback on a LinkedIn post. And they, they assert that they've taken into consideration people's privacy and they've balanced it. And it's like, no, they haven't. Because the only thing this can do is put people's privacy in jeopardy. And now we've gone down the rabbit hole of pornography and content classification for kids. <laughs> Well, no, no, I think... I, I think, It's the same thing. It's the classification of content and allowing certain people to access that content.
1: Yeah, no, it all it all connects together. I mean, what MetaCert is doing, I guess what it started to do is provide a plugin that gives you some knowledge about the links within email, social media, within websites, within chatbots. So, okay, that's how we started the conversation yeah. Great. I still need to come back to one question at the end of that. But anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll hold on to that. The, the, the next stage I think is brilliant. It, it, it's taking a mechanism that pays people to help you to validate and verify these sites so that it's not a bottleneck that one company owns. And then the next stage is using the t- underlying technology, the blockchain, the smart um, contracts potentially machine learning and ai to speed up that learning process so that's the iteration of your you know your your roadmap of your company i would say and the next layers on top are okay this link isn't a phishing link but actually it's a link to a porn site so now you're classifying content you're saying okay this isn't a malicious link but instead of me giving you a green light i'm going to give you a different color light because you're privacy settings or your your parental checking settings i guess are saying i don't want my children to find these sites so we've, we've categorized them we know what they are we've created a content label on them and we're now going to give you some mechanism a shield of another color maybe that tells you that this is a pornography site so based on your personal settings rather than as you said the government a top down everything is pornography therefore it's bad you're saying we're going to do it from the end of look as a parent you will have control over what your kids should and shouldn't see and there will be settings now pornography is just one sort of site that you don't want your children going to and there may be multiple other sites that you want Um, it could be interesting because um, supposedly Facebook isn't allowed to have user accounts until you're 13 so maybe you could have a Uh, a setting in the parental control that says, um, well, my child's not 13 yet. So when there's a Facebook link offering them to set up an account, it just blocks it or doesn't allow it until they're 13. Um, So that's great. It it brings me on to, I guess, two questions then. Um, The EU has just implemented or looks like it's about to implement, it's certainly voted for um, Article 11 and Article 13. Now, Article 11 is a tax link. It basically, uh, if you took Google News, it would take a snippet of a website and bring it back as a meme paste. Tech Memes is a great example of it, where they take aggregated uh, site. It's an aggregated site for news of technology. And people then have the headline, probably the first paragraph. And then people can choose to read it or click on it. And, of course, all the European newspapers will go, that's horrible. People aren't coming to our site. They're just reading the first paragraph and not bothering. So they're they're implementing this tax link, uh, basically saying to Google, if you take a snippet of our news, you have to pay us a royalty. That's the best way, like a PRS license. So if you sample music, you have to pay the PRS license. And they're saying the same. I'm just wondering, it was going through my head. If you you took MetaCert, so if you took the internet, you'd said the DNS, the domain namespace layer, hasn't got a security layer, but they're working on that. Then above that is the certificate. We talked about, you know, certificates are maybe being handed out too easily, but there is a certificate there. Then there's the MetaCert plugins layer, Then you've got this protocol that you're building, but then you've got the classification on top of that. So once you've got a database of, you know, as you rightly said, this history of a domain, this domain was owned by Paul one day. Sam owned it the next day. It was then used for a phishing site and then it's been resold again. So there's like a history, like a logbook of the Internet of each site. That's brilliant. That is genuinely brilliant. And I would love that if you can make that happen tomorrow. Thank you, Paul. But I like where this is going. The next layer from that is actually now we know all about the web and the web links and pretty much we're now going to classify them again. Now we're going to give them, you know, this is bad as an actor or bad as pornography or or it's just not bad. But it's it's a site you shouldn't go to until you're 18, as an example. Or, or this site shouldn't be allowed to be seen. And then I wonder whether this Article 11 um, and 13 is the next layer of classification, because you know about the links in every website. You could then determine, actually, yes, this is a snippet of information from another site. Therefore, you could become a reporting engine for Article 11.
0: Um of I don't all, know if you've say, ever even thought of that. So No, just something um, that dawned on me, but I, I would say the MetaSearch protocol could actually be on the DNS layer. It's actually on the secure where you talked about uh, SSL certificates.
1: Yeah.
0: MetaSearch stands for metadata, certificates in the form of metadata. Yeah. SSL certificates does a different job. It encrypts the web, trans- the transmission of data from your computer to the website, and, so and you can't sure. be hacked, right? But for the purpose of identity, SSL is not necessarily the best implementation, but that's what has been used historically because the browsers trusted the providers of SSL certificates. I would like MetaServe Protocol and perhaps other companies that come out. I would like the browsers and other software providers and application developers and hardware device providers, I'd like them to trust this new protocol and read the bits that they want. So to think of it as a big registry where we just simply classify every URI to everything. And it could be that this particular link is uh, verified and pornography, right? It's not bad. MetaSert doesn't have an opinion about what's bad or what's good outside of malicious as or li- illegal. So malware, phishing, crypto mining, and illegal content. When it comes to adult content or mature content, we don't have an opinion. We just classify something as triple X or sex, sex education, lingerie, uh, and so on. We did refuse the Turkey government access to our data set because we knew they wanted it for the purpose of censorship. So we do have integrity. We do have ethics at Metasert, which I think is very important. And so I don't think every company should be held to account if their platform is used for bad but i do believe every company has a moral obligation to try its best to make sure its technology is not used for bad and we will do that at metasert so we will make sure as best we can that our data is not going to be used for censorship purposes so let's say for example the british government said to us hey metasert we're going to pay you a million dollars every year if you allow us access to your data And we will automatically block adult content across the UK until somebody proves that they're an adult and they want to access it. I actually just don't think that's the right approach. So I would refuse that. I'm sure some of our shareholders will be annoyed and think, actually, no, it's a great way to make revenue. And there's actually nothing wrong with it because, you know, it's a gray area. Some people might think that's perfectly fine and they're perfectly okay to have that opinion. But I just do not think it's the right approach um, in society. Um, it has security and privacy implications outside of whether you think it's censorship uh, resistant or not. And so when it comes to, I when it comes to tax, you know, so I did a podcast inside the Guardian uh, studio with Jemima Kish and um, oh goodness, what's his name? You'll know his name. The Tech, he's one of the best tech reporters. He was at the Guardian. Charles um, uh, yeah. Arthur. Charles Arthur. Yes. And the other person that was being interviewed on the phone was uh, basically represented the music industry because at that time, the British Telecom was being asked to enforce or to police uh, people at home in terms of copyright infringement. And I think that's wrong. I think they should not be the police of the internet. Um, particularly when it comes to the music and movie entertainment industry, because they're, apart from being stuck in the dark ages, uh, I think they need to be more innovative and they can't expect other stakeholders to enforce their rules and regulations. But the problem- and I don't think Metacert would ever enforce the rules and regulations around link tax because I just, I, you positioned it beautifully uh, insofar as I think it's great for getting Google to pay for that content because it's making billions of dollars directly from that content without any attribution in kind to the content creators but I don't think that's the right way to go about implementing a link tax across the internet because it's just going to be terrible and it's not good for the internet just because you have one use case I don't think it means it's going to be a good thing.
1: No, I agree with you. And I, I don't know how Google should pay its attribution towards the companies. I mean, Google's answer is, well, we'll delist you from the index. And and so it, Spanish newspapers did this about three years ago. They got delisted and then they went back on bended knee begging to be added because they weren't getting traffic. Um. So. So anyway, I, I just want to cover. So. The other one was the copyright article 13, which was about using music. And you just mentioned it, you know, is our ISPs going to be reporting what people are doing. Um You know, so for example, you, you suddenly play a bit of music uh, in a podcast and that goes across my ISP, my ISP detects it and says, ah, you should be paying that. I mean, supposedly YouTube now, has to put content filtering technology in place, same as Facebook. I mean, if I use Facebook Live in Marlow FM's recording studio and um, I start playing a track on the speakers, Facebook Live picks it up and cuts the stream. It won't allow me to stream uh, music. So those filters are already appearing within the software of the big players. Um I'm not quite sure where I'm going with this and MetaSert, but I'm my my point, I guess, is where where in the stack is MetaSert sitting? Let's go back to that. Why uh, my my real big question was if if Google or the browsers aren't implementing what you're doing, why aren't they implementing what you're doing? Why why can't I trust the padlock anymore? Which is what we said earlier. Why can't I trust their green padlock? Why can't? I mean, we
0: talked about the fact that. It's not that you can't trust the padlock, it's that you can't trust the people who are implementing the padlock. You can trust Let's Encrypt. I mean, MetaCert uses Let's Encrypt certificates on some unimportant internal servers that are not customer facing. You can use a Let's Encrypt certificate in the same way you can use a certificate from Komodo or GoDaddy or DigiCert or GlobalSign or Entrust DataCard, name any of them. They all do the same thing. It's the same technology. The only difference is that Let's Encrypt is giving them away for free, and they're not doing any checks whatsoever, which by itself is okay, and that's good. I'm all for encrypting the web. I'm all for encryption everywhere. I'm all for HTTPS everywhere. So that and, that's the encryption end-to-end bits. So that's nothing yeah, to do with validating whether the site is a good site or a bad site. Exactly, because right. over okay. the years, consumers have been trained to look for the padlock and to trust the website owner. But now there's no cost to the website owner who is now a phishing scam artist or malware or ransomware. Right. So although the site might be encrypted, it could still be a phishing site. Well, 93% of all fishing sites are encrypted with a padlock. Yes. Right. So would it
1: not be beholden on you then not to use a padlock and maybe use another?
0: Um... We don't use a padlock. So the padlock will still – you'll still get the padlock in the toolbar. We can't stop that from appearing, no, no. nor would we want to. But, but we have a shield. Uh,
1: looks, oh, okay. A, sh- a shield and a padlock. Uh, okay. I get – okay. That's, that's the bit I missed. Okay. That's the icon – difference between the two one's a padlock and one's yeah. a shield okay and so, you points.
0: know there's only so much we can do with the real estate that the browsers give us and there's only so much real estate we would don't want to take up in a crypto wallet or inside our email app or inside anything but you know um we we have as much experience with human behavior as we do with the technical implementation and people are able to actually look for the new shield Okay. And rely on
1: Paul, we're fast coming to the end of the show. It's been a massive roller coaster of knowledge for me. Uh, thank you very much. Um, so for anyone who wants to obviously make sure that they're protecting themselves, what can they do? Where can they go to start?
0: I would say go to metasertprotocol.com mm-hmm. and download the browser extension for from there, free trial. Okay. Or metasert.com and download the email app. We've got two websites. They're both being updated with just one website in the coming weeks. But metasert.com, uh, where they can get my contact details and reach out to me. Um, I would also want to plug a non MetaCert product, which is 1Password or any password management application. LastPass use... being... Last yeah. is uh, another one as well. Exactly. I just yeah. I just personally like one password, but any one of those will massively reduce the risk of anybody falling for a phishing scam as well. Why? Because when you go to log into a web they have their own problems that Metasert cover, but when you log into a website, it'll only allow you to log into a website that actually is the legitimate site because it identifies the domain name and mm-hmm. won't auto complete. So there it also will create a unique password for each website. So if your details are compromised by one company, it won't make any difference because you'll have a unique password for everything. That's the answer. Paul, it's been a
1: pleasure, mate. Thank you very much. Thank
0: you, Sam. That show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week. Same time, same place.